0: Welcome back to The Glue, guys. This is Mike here, and it's just me here. Uh, Brian had a work emergency, so he's not able to join me today. And it is a special podcast because we have Evan Roberts from WFAN on today. He gave us 20 good minutes right before we had to go on the air. He talked all Nets. It was all Nets. A little Nicks, a little tiny Nicks, just to compare with the Nets. But it was mostly all Nets, and we appreciate Evan for giving us that time. A few quick things we need to get out of the way before we do that. Um, Of course, you can find us on netsdaily.com, at BKGlueGuys on Twitter, Almighty Baller for more of your podcast needs. We have a few big podcasts coming up leading up into the season because we are oh so close to that season opener. Uh, We're going to have another big Nets-centric guest coming up on Monday. That interview is happening around 2 o'clock on Monday, so you'll probably see it. Monday night, Tuesday morning on netsdaily.com, and we appreciate your clicks and your listens and your downloads, of course, and give us five-star ratings on iTunes. We love them, we need them, we have to have them. We have that, and this is where you guys come in. If you could, send some questions and comments to netspod at gmail.com, preseason-minded questions, you know, things looking long-term at the season coming up. Send us those questions and comments. We're going to do a big pod with those coming up as well. And then the season's going to begin, and we're going to be podding with regularity. And we'll be trying to do some more post-game pods, you know, kind of get quick reactions right after the game. So during those games, tweet us your opinions. We love them. At Guys. We want them, we need them, we have to have them. But coming up first is my interview with Evan Roberts. Joining us on the news line is uh, one of the most prominent media personality Nets fans that there are out there. Uh, this is Evan Roberts. WFAN Midday host Evan thank you so much for joining us today
1: I'm honored to not only be on the podcast but be considered as prominent so thank you very much
0: I mean you you, they're of the the media landscape in New York you are the number one you're the Mount Rushmore of Nets fans and it's more of a Statue of Liberty because there just aren't that many of you guys out there how how is it that you became a Nets fan like what was the the beginning of all that happening
1: It started in a very, very simple way. I love the game of basketball. I said to my dad, can you take me to a basketball game? Because baseball was my first love. We had season tickets for the Mets. So after learning about baseball, I wanted to learn about all the other sports. So I said, Daddy, can you take me to a basketball game? And he said, well, son, I'm going to take you to the Meadowlands to see the Nets (laughs) because I can't get tickets at Madison Square Garden. And I said, that's fine. I can't stand the Knicks. I can't stand Patrick Ewing. I can't stand John Starks. I can't stand Charles Oakley. And most of all, I can't stand everybody in my school that either roots for the Knicks or the Bulls. So let's go to New Jersey. So he took me to the Meadowlands and then taught me about the history from Long Island because my dad is from Queens and he grew up as a New York Nets fan and was very devastated when they sold Dr. J like a month before the season after they promoted come see Dr. J in the NBA so he had a history with the Nets he did have some bitterness towards them for what they did and so I started to appreciate their history and I love the fact that he took me to a game and then it was it was love baby it was
0: love I, it's always a debate I always talk to my Knicks fans friends it's like what is what has been worse I still argue that the the Nets run let's say in the past uh, 25 years has been better than the Knicks with the Nets you have the the two finals that back to back, you right. have all those fun Jason Kidd years. Then you have the Vince Carter years, which you know some most would say was a was a good time while it was happening, and then some interesting spikes. Obviously, some deep deep valleys in between. From Nets versus Knicks, what has been a better experience as a fan? Would you say in the past I don't know, twenty years?
1: Well, see, that's the key. Where are we making the line of demarcation? I like to make the line of demarcation two thousand one, two thousand two. Why? <laughs> because you know why. <laughs> yeah. A- That period of time, it's a mismatch. You know, from that period of time, it's not even close. I mean, for the most part, since the Jason Kidd era, that also marks the line of when the Knicks have fallen into this horrific run of terrible basketball, with really the exception of one year, mostly responsible by Jason freaking Kidd going over there and being that veteran leader when they won the 54 games and they got to the second round of the playoffs. So really, in the last decade and a half, it's not even close. But I I do admit that in my mind, I always like to compare the 90s run of the Knicks to our 2000 run. And it's tough. I mean, because one of the things I want to be fair, I always try to be fair, especially on the radio when, you know, half the people listening or in the basketball case, more than half the people listening don't root for the team that I'm rooting for. The Knicks competed with better teams in the Eastern Conference. They just did. And I don't throw anything back. We don't throw anything back. I don't care. That the early two thousands Eastern Conference competitors were not nearly as good as the Jordan Bulls or even the Miami Heat or the Reggie Miller Pacers at that time. I don't really care. I'm not gonna throw it back. But I do think that if we're gonna if we're gonna compare, I gotta be fair, that's why I don't like to compare. I just like to say, let's start it in two thousand and one.
0: In this <laughs> millennium, the Nets have been far, far, far better than the putrid New York Knicks. Not even close. Yeah, and, and it's all, and now we're at this point, and we're at an interesting point for both teams, I think. And obviously, we're going to be talking about the Nets more than the Knicks. Uh, but both teams are sort of coming out of a very strange period. The Knicks are coming out of their Carmelo haze. They still sort of have some lingering effects of all that. And the Nets, of course, are coming out of the Billy King, you know, Garnett Pierce trade. And it finally feels like, as a Nets fan, I don't know if you're feeling it, but it sort of feels like the fan base has been reset. You know, it it feels like this team is heading into a season where, you know, competing for the eighth seed is a dream. It may not happen. You know, they'll be decent. And then there's the summer of 2019, which is already actually kind of diminishing in terms of who may be out there. But um, going into this season, what are you expecting? What are you feeling? And like, what's the your idea of success at this point?
1: I am oddly optimistic that we're going to see them continue to show signs of improvement. The one thing I warn about, because you kind of alluded to it with the Nets and the Knicks is that we've got to stop stargazing. You know, we've got both fan bases. We have to stop fantasizing about things that are not going to happen. We have to stop fantasizing about Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or, because that stuff's not going to happen. And that's really what got both of us, the Knicks and the Nets into the problems that were created. So I think for the Knicks and I think for our team, it's about developing what we have. And I think what we have is all about health. I hate to say that because it's so freaking cliche to say they got to stay healthy. But it's so true. I mean, one of the biggest issues I had last year as a fan was the frustration that we didn't get to see D'Angelo Russell play 75 games. It was frustrating. And, you know, I'm glad he was able to come back from the injury because I remember when he first went down, my my assumption, I said this on the air is we're never going to see this guy again. And this is straight out of the Met playbook. We'll never see him again. They'll say he's ready in mid-March. Then, ah, season's over. Why bother seeing him? So we need to see D'Angelo Russell play a full season. With that said, I'm optimistic they can be in the mid-30s, and I think that's how I measure success. They improved by eight games last year, right? They went from 20 to 28 wins. If you can do the same thing and you can get to 36 wins, which is not going to be good enough for a playoff spot. I think we acknowledge that. It could be good enough to be in a race, but not necessarily to get the eighth seed. I think that would be a sign of improvement. And that's kind of what I expect from this team, but it's all predicated on them actually staying healthy. And, you know, that Alan Crabb injury, not that I'm putting Alan Crabb in the freaking Hall of Fame because God knows I'm not, but mm-hmm. things like that are concerning because they need to stay healthy. And that was the biggest regret from a year ago that, sure, they improved by eight games, they won 28 games, but you and I know if they were healthy, maybe they would have won 33, 34 games last year.
0: If Dinwiddie had not risen out of the depths, you know, if he hadn't gotten off the scrap heap and became the super interesting sort of, you know, I think I think he's mostly a backup point guard. You know, yeah. I, for D'Angelo, what? So what, the old, always the debate with him is that when you put up his stats, you say, okay, he is now 22, 21 years old. He averages twenty points a game, five assists, five rebounds, and then you historically go back and you look at all the guys who do that or have done that. And it's a pretty high list. I mean, it's like, you know, like James Harden and Steph- like Stefan Marbury types, like all those kind of scoring guards. What's your, what's your sense of, of what we've seen of D'Angelo? Where do you put him in terms of talent, in terms of ability? Is he all-star level or is he just a guy who's going to score a bunch of points for you but, but really doesn't, you know, complete a whole team himself that he needs other players around him? I mean, I, I think that's I, for sure.
1: I lean towards that right now, That from what we've seen. But remember, what did we see last year? I mean, we saw him play, you know, 45 games or whatever it was. And I think that's a part of what was missing. And not only did we only see him play that amount of games, when he came back from the injury, we saw Kenny Atkinson barely put him in the lineup. I mean, he was playing such limited minutes. And overall, he didn't play a lot of minutes. So my judgment on D'Angelo Russell, and I don't want to include anything from L.A., because we weren't watching him every single day. And it was a mess over there. So I'm really just including what we saw last year. I lean towards that, that he's a guy who's just going to put up some nice numbers, but he's not a star player. This is the year, where, though, where we're going to find out the answer. We have to find out the answer. We have to find out what this guy is. And the thing I hold out hope on is that, A, he can become a better three-point shooter. And, B, he's young. He's only 22 years old. And with the experience that he's gained over the last couple of years, good experiences and bad experiences on and off the court, he can take that next step. But as of now, if I had to make a gamble, if I had to bet, hey, what's D'Angelo Russell going to be? Number one, I'd probably bet he's not going to be on the team next year because they have planned this roster out to have as much cap room as possible and have flexibility. In order to maximize that, I think they have to renounce his rights. So I don't even know if he's going to be here next year, but I think we're going to learn and we have to learn more about this guy this season playing 75 games. But for now, the numbers in a way sort of felt empty last year. So – We'll see. It's one of the things I'm most looking forward to this year, trying to learn and see what D'Angelo Russell actually is.
0: It's interesting. So you bring up the fact that, like, so that's the sort of thing that no one is talking about with this 2019 free agency is that D'Angelo can't be here if, if they're going to sign two max free agents. With again, right. Doesn't even that? I mean, that that's not going to happen at this point. I mean, because if you <laughs> if you're just if you're reading like if you believe Kyrie Irving, I mean, this is a guy again who said that the the Earth is flat. But if you believe him, he wants to stay in Boston. And then you have Klay Thompson, who is seeming to say that he's going to stay in Golden State. And you just have all these guys that were coming up into free agency. None of them seem like they're going to be free agents besides Kevin Durant. But even Kevin Durant, you can't—you have no clue what he's thinking just because he doesn't reveal that in any way. Um, it may end up being a fortuitous thing. It may be one of those situations where like a uh, fork in the road type moment or sliding doors, you know, where – the Nets all this all the fan base, all the discussion has been like, all right, we gotta get two max free agents. We gotta figure out a way to bump this thing up in a massive way immediately. And as you were saying, it may make more sense and it may be better for the franchise long term to not do that. To the, to have the cap space, but then have the young guys and re sign them and keep growing this team little by little as opposed to trying to get like because in the end, what they could end up is with is like Chris Middleton on a max free agent contract. And that's basically, you know, Joe Johnson 2.0, and I don't think any Nets fan wants that. Well, and that's the problem,
1: and that's why this has to be more about – and I like the fact that they have the cap flexibility next year moving forward. I mean, it's better to have it than not have it. And as we've seen, Sean Marks has used having cap room as a weapon in very different ways. Not that we want to watch the Nets take on bad contracts to get more draft picks next year or the year after, but he has used that effectively. I like that they have that flexibility, but the more you think about it, Stargazing doesn't really work. Start-facing doesn't really work. So to bank on this is what you're – this is the way you're going to win is by hoping and praying Kawhi Leonard comes here or Kevin Durant comes here is not a sound strategy. I look at this roster right now, and they have a lot of good, young, solid players. They don't have a star player. I don't think they're ever going to have a star player. But the only two guys, assuming they do go big game hunting in free agency – that are probably going to be here long-term is Karis Lavert and Jared Allen. That's really it, right? Because Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is in a similar situation. So I think it's going to be fascinating how they handle next year. But a lot of it is going to be, well, what do these guys do this year? And is there any kind of deal before the trade deadline that becomes available that we couldn't even imagine right now that all of a sudden comes into place in the early part of February? That's the thing to keep in mind. But to bank on Kyrie Irving, and you, you spelled out perfectly – you can't believe anything Kyrie Irving says because the guy does think the earth is flat, even though he sort of apologized for than God knows what. I, I can't bank that the Nets are adding free agents. And you know what? When that report came out about Jimmy Butler, and, I, and the report said, oh, Jimmy Butler would like to be traded to the Knicks, the Nets, and the Clippers, it warmed all of our hearts. Okay, it felt great to be wanted, to be loved. But being wanted and being loved is not the same as a guy actually coming here. You know what I mean? There's a difference between being on a wish list and deciding. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take less money and sign with the Brooklyn Nets. And I heard a lot of garbage when they first moved here, even before that, about how, uh, oh, you know, Melo's going to come here, maybe LeBron will come here, Wade will come here. I'm not believing that garbage anymore. I don't want to believe it. The only guy who really truly wanted to come here was Dwight Howard, and thank God he didn't come here because <laughs> yeah. it would have been a colossal waste of time.
0: Well, and and, and it, it, but the thing is about the Butler thing. It's like you're the kid at the high school dance who for years you weren't even getting looked at by the girls and for suddenly a girl her eyes crosses your path for a half a second and that is an exciting moment i mean that is what the nets fan fan base hasn't had since dwight howard um and it's funny that all this obviously that the dwight howard cap space that has been opened up has allowed them to get another first round pick with the kenneth three trade and that other first round pick could let them get off alan crab which then could get d'angelo russell back in but um so I wanted to get – we don't we don't talk about these – well, Sean Marks gets a lot of publicity for doing a, a pretty decent job getting the Nets from where they were to where they are. Um, but Kenny Atkinson almost doesn't get discussed at all. What is your impression of Kenny Atkinson? Where, where do you kind of – how do you see him as a coach? So far,
1: you know, in the two years that he's been here, I got to be honest with you, I don't love him. I mean, I think he's got a lot to prove, and I think what's happened – One of the things that goes on with this franchise is that because it doesn't have a rabid fan base, they almost get away with a lot of bad stuff, and they get too much credit for stuff that's not even that good, right? What I mean by that is what you just said first off about Sean Marks, that, well, he's done a great job considering the situation he's been in. Well, sure, he's being graded on a curve. He took over the worst dumpster fire in the history of sports, okay? So anything he did, we were probably going to look at and say, well, gee, he was in a really tough spot. So the fact he ended up with this roster, that's pretty good. At the end of the day, you got to win, right? And that's the same thing with Kenny Atkinson. He takes over, they win 20 games. Last year, they improved, and I like it, but they still only won 28 games, and there were still many moments throughout games in which I would question his rotation. I would wonder about his minute allotment. And it would frustrate me. But the truth is, what I kept telling myself last year, and I'm going to probably do it a little bit this year, but not as much as, well, the team has flaws. You know, you can't blame them for everything. And I'm not blaming him for everything, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm not putting Kenny Atkinson in the Hall of Fame quite yet, and I think this is a huge year for him because you said it at the top. This team has the talent to potentially compete for a playoff spot. Well, go out and do it because if you don't, we're going to look at the head coach. And if this was the Knicks in the exact same situation, you see the way Knicks fans turn on people, and sometimes they're irrational about it. But I think the media as a whole wouldn't be throwing bouquets at everybody because, oh, look at the mess they came out of. So I'm not in love with Kenny Atkinson. That doesn't mean I want to fire the guy or anything. I just think, much like for D'Angelo Russell, this is a big year for Kenny Atkinson. they got to win freaking
0: games. Well,
1: Enough of the losing.
0: And I wonder if, like, so the way he's been coaching is he's been coaching with the mind towards his development, which is what obviously is what he came from with the Hawks and he was there with the Knicks too. It's that he he does cut guys' minutes partly because yes. of the health concerns. He, he puts guys out there who probably shouldn't be out there in certain situations. He likes to give a wide rotation. I wonder if that's going to flip this year and it's going to become focused on They always wanted to win games because they had no motivation to lose, but maybe this year it'll be more of let's really try to compete constantly and worry a little bit less about development. And to be honest, the development, I mean, all their best players are still all their young guys. It's not like I'm not asking for a lineup of Kenneth Farid and Damari Carroll and you know, any, any of the other veterans that are still here Ed Davis, their best players are their young guys. Um, where are you with – so there's so much debate about Karis LeVert. It's like a lot of Nets fans hold him in super high regard. Other people, if you ask around the NBA, it's kind of ridiculous that the Nets don't include him in a Jimmy Butler trade. Where's your Karis LeVert thermometer at this point?
1: Well, I think you you don't have to think he's the next superstar in the league to then also say I'm not including him in a Jimmy Butler trade because I'm not including him in a Jimmy Butler trade. Now, do I think he can become a star for this team? I don't know if his – I don't know if the growth could ever turn into something like that, but watching Lavert two years ago, watching him last year, what you're seeing, and I love to watch this, is you're seeing development. You're seeing a guy that's getting better and better, and – you know, we've all read the reports about this offseason and what his teammates have said, how great he looks, and even a little bit in the preseason, I think he's got a chance to take another step. Jimmy Butler and including him in a, in a trade for Jimmy Butler, I'm not going to do that. And a part of that is the more I've thought about it, the more I have cooled off on the idea of even trading for Jimmy Butler in that he's a guy who, when you give him the max contract, is going to be making you know $40 million in the last year or two of his contract. So I don't know if LaVert is ever going to be this superstar player, but I've seen him grow the last two years. He's still incredibly young. I mean, he's still only 23 years old, and or 24 years old now, technically, and I want to continue to see him grow on this team. So I'm, I'm with those who don't want him to include him in a Jimmy Butler trade. I wouldn't.
0: All right, so the last question, I'll let you go because I appreciate your time. The Let's get a firm prediction from you, Evan, an exact prediction on wins and playoffs. <laughs> um Where where are you? I mean, if we're let's say we talk again, you know, six months from now or whatever, what will we be saying about the next season? Regardless, let's not count injuries because we can't again, we can't predict what may happen. But let's say this team is healthy. How are we going to be talking about this team six months from now?
1: I think there is going to be improvement. I think they're going to be in a playoff race. And I think we're going to have hope that this team can continue to grow, but we will still be missing that great player will still be missing and dreaming about that star player that's never going to come here, that we're also not developing unless this team got lucky and won the lottery. But I think that there will be hope coming out of this year because I think Jared Allen's going to take another step and he's going to remind us of Rudy Gobert. And I think Levert will get even better. And hopefully D'Angelo Russell will get even better. And I think we'll talk about a team that's in a playoff race, but we'll fall short. So I think there'll be some positivity in six months but we'll still realize that we don't have that franchise guy
0: well there you go that's so we don't even need to watch the season anymore we'll just keep it going <laughs> no we got it thank you evan evan roberts WFAN. thank you so much for joining us and if you ever need to talk nets we're here we're available we're ready for you
1: thank you you could be my therapy i appreciate yeah, it
0: Yeah, you got it